This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Do you guys listen to Armchair Expert? Because I feel like every time I start a podcast, I have to say, welcome, welcome, welcome. But it's like, Renee, that's not your thing. That's Dax's thing. So shut up. But like, as soon as I press record on my microphone, that's what I want to say. So it's really weird. Anyways, hi, hello. I need my own intro. Clearly, that's what's happening here. Like, I need something to say at the beginning. And that's what I say all the time. Maybe I'll run like a contest to see what I should say. And then whoever wins will win a prize. Okay, that's fine. Anywho, we got a fabulous episode for you today. It is her second time on the podcast. Her name is Dr. Cindy Hovington. You probably know her from the social media account Curious Neuron. She is a mom to three young children, and she is also a neuroscientist. So she's like a mom and also the people on Big Bang Theory. That's what I gather. She is brilliant, and what she does is she takes the actual research on certain parenting topics and she breaks it down for us. So her other episode on the podcast was all about screens and screen time. I had dove into the research, dove, dived into the research on screens on my own, but I was like, I want someone who really gets it to come on the podcast and tell us what the deal is with screen time. So if you haven't already listened to that episode, make sure you go listen to it. It is episode 90. In this episode, we are not talking about screens, but we are talking about how our own childhood shapes our emotions and our behaviors and also our parenting styles. We talk a lot about regulating emotions. What does that even mean? How can we regulate our own emotions, teach our children to regulate their emotions? Why emotion regulation skills are so important? Also, why it's so important to think back to our own childhood to understand how we are today as a parent, as a partner, whatever it might be. Why is it so important to look back and understand our own upbringing? She also explains to us what the tripartite model of parental socialization is. Ooh, I love nerdy things. That's one thing about academics. They love a model, okay? They love a model. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Cindy Hovington to the Mom Room podcast for the second time. All right, so my first question for you is, how have you been doing and what have you been doing and how are things going at The Curious Neuron? Oh, it's going well. I'm so happy we're chatting again. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, everything's been going well this past year. We're, I don't know, we have like a few courses at the Academy now with Curious Neuron and I have the podcast as well. And now we've launched a consulting company. So I hire graduate students as well because, hey, you remember being a graduate student and we, we needed extra cash <laughs> and it was hard to find jobs. I don't know how it was with you, but I would find jobs that were like random jobs 
at like stores selling jeans or whatever it was. But now I, I work with graduate students and we work for companies and we help them, you know, if they're looking for a psychology student or a language student, whatever it is to build like products and, and apps and so on. So yeah, that, that evolved over the year. <laughs> That is awesome. Okay, so I just want to mention that Cindy and I did an episode about screens. And it's one of my favorite, like one of the most popular episodes, obviously. And it was just like an honest chat about motherhood and screens and what the research actually says. And so that is episode 90, if you go back and listen to that. Basically, the moral of the story was balance is key. And then I was listening to an episode of, do you know who Andrew Huberman is? Yes. Yeah. So, okay. (laughs) I'm obsessed with him. I could listen to him talk all day. I'm like, I don't understand how he has so much information just like readily available in his brain. (laughs) But anyways, he was talking on a podcast about the hosts of the show were like, because they have a two-year-old daughter, and they were like, if you had kids, because he doesn't have kids right now, what would you do with screens? Like, what would your, you know, like, rules be or boundaries with your kids and screens? And he said that he would never do, like, it would be a balance. It's exactly what we were talking about on that episode. And I was like, okay, so obviously we're right. Um, (laughs) Because he was like, if you completely don't expose your kids to screens. They are eventually going to be exposed. Like that's just the world that we live in. And so what's going to happen is they're going to go over to their friend's house and their friend's going to be watching Paw Patrol or something. And like the surge of dopamine and like, you know, all this stuff that's going to happen to them is going to be, it's going to be 10 times more shocking and like appealing to them because it's going to be that big like rush of whatever all the science things that he was saying and I was like oh that's so interesting never thought of it in that way but it makes a lot of sense yeah like instead of just like you know having a balanced relationship like screens every once in a while and like exposing them to it it's like this shocking you know exposure all of a sudden which makes them want it even more and I'm assuming it's probably the same thing like with like zero sugar. sugar. I was zero, just going to say, yeah. yeah, exactly. I was going to say it's the same thing because it's that big rush and it's that thing that you've been told you can have. And even as adults, <laughs> we would probably react the same way. But yeah, he's right. I think it's so important to think about that when we think about the environment we're creating for our kids and all the restrictions we're creating, like that once they do get it, it's going to be, their brain will be filled with joy, which is okay. And it's just going to be a lot for them to handle in terms of that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good point. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to share that. (laughs) So today we're talking more so about emotions and regulating emotions. Before we get into that, okay, I feel like emotion regulation and regulating emotions is talked about a lot, but what does it actually mean to be able to regulate your emotions? Yeah. I love that you're starting that way because often when I put emotion regulation on one of my posts or on my website, I got, I'll get emails, you know, like, what does that mean? <laughs> what are we talking about? And it's not about like managing your emotions. Sometimes I'll use that word, but it's a lot more than that. So it's when something external happens and, you know, somebody says something, let's say you're at work and your boss says, no, you're not getting that raise because you've been performing below <laughs> average or whatever it is. You're going to have internal emotional reactions to that and external Right, so we have to balance that. Emotion regulation is about balancing that internal and external 
reaction or response to something. And internally, we, we can react certain ways, and we're going to talk about that today, right? You could keep it in and say, like, yeah, I don't agree with that, and that's really rude, but fine, I'll let it pass. Or you could just say, like, he's right, you know, I've been, or she's right, and I've been, I haven't been performing properly. This, all that internal dialogue is going to start. Then there's the external. You can keep it cool, or you can flip the desk <laughs> and yeah. lose your mind, right? So that's what the emotion regulation is. And it's so important for us to understand that in ourselves. And usually I talk about child development, but I've realized the past two years that we have to start discovering ourselves because if we don't, we will either do ext- either extreme with our kids. We will either yell every single day and not take the time to think about why we're doing it and what's contributing to that, which can and often does come from how we were raised. And that's what we'll talk about today. Or on the other end, we might watch our child and, and you know, having tantrums and, and they might do things that upset us, but we let it pass. And I've spoken to parents who say that. They're like, yeah, but I'm following conscious parenting or positive parenting and I keep it cool. It doesn't matter what my child does. They could drop the milk and then they can tell me off and I'll be like, yeah, I got this. You know, it, and it's not about that. That's internalizing and that's another way of you know, regulating your emotions. So it's a balance of everything. Like, it sounds like when you are reactive, that's not necessarily regulating because you're, you're just like reacting in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. When you react really quickly, you haven't taken the time most probably to evaluate how you should react to that situation. Right. So the same way that I explained to my kids when they were very young, if one of your siblings takes your toy away and you yell the same way and scream the same way as if you were hurt, That's not regulating emotions. I'm not able to tell which one is worse. So as a parent, that's how I explained it to my kids. But it's the same thing with us. If we yell at our child because they didn't come downstairs when we asked them to, and we also yell at them when they cross the street, how do they know which one is more important and which one is something they should listen to? And I think back to my childhood. My mom was a single mom. And she would yell at just about everything. In retrospect, now I understand what she had to go through. At the moment, I was like, "What's like? What the hell?" <laughs> just like you just scream at everything, right? And and she was overwhelmed and she was stressed, and I get that now. But I understand also why she wasn't able to regulate her emotions. And I, now that I also have had these discussions with her about her childhood, I understand why, how she was raised, and how that impacted her. So yeah, that's why we have to go back to her childhood. Okay, so let's talk about that then. So how does someone's childhood shape how they respond and like their emotions? So it has a really big impact on us. And it's not necessarily because I don't want people to have to think like, did I have a traumatic childhood? Did I have a bad childhood? It's not about that. You could, obviously, there's, I have a book beside me, What Happened to You? I don't know if, you ha- if you've read that one. It's by Bruce, Dr. Bruce Perry. Dr. Bruce Perry has a lot of research where he looks at trauma and how that impacts your, your, your brain. So today we're taking that, we couldn't talk about it, we could talk about that, but what I really want to look at is it doesn't have to be a traumatic past, it doesn't have to be a bad childhood, but when you understand how the brain develops when you're young, then you're able to pinpoint how you are behaving today and where that came from and where to start the work. So it's not just about brushing it off either and saying, you know, I'm this way because this happened in my childhood, so that's the way I am. <laughs> we we want to be able to say, I am re- reacting or responding this way in conversations with my child, with my partner, with my friends. And now that I look back, yeah, this part affected it. And now I know where to start the work. So 
What happens when we are young, you know, our brain is looking for predictability as an infant. It's looking for safety and it's looking for attachment and connection. So as soon as one of those are not present, and you could look at extreme cases like children who are in orphanages, right? They don't have that sort of predictability and that safety or that attachment. Their brain will develop differently in the sense that their stress systems are very differently developed than ours, than somebody else's. Their emotion regulation responses are very different than ours. So those are two very prominent parts of the brain that are affected. And then that impacts how you build relationships. That impacts how you respond to something. So for example, in my case, I'm super hypersensitive when it comes to my stress response. And it comes back to my childhood. My mom came from a really rough childhood. Her mom came from trauma. And that passes on genetically or epigenetically, right? So just in that, as soon as something would happen, she would just yell. And I'm the same way. And I'm trying to work on that through therapy and, and with myself too. But like, it's just because you, you can look at a baseline of your stress system. And if your childhood was very calm and very predictable and very safe, then and, and your parents were able to regulate their emotions, and that's either not internalizing or externalizing too much, then your system is okay. And if something happens with your child and they have a tantrum, or you have a newborn and they're crying and screaming for an hour, your system starts at zero versus somebody who was raised in an environment where things were not predictable. You know, maybe their parents were going through something, there was a lot of yelling and maybe there was some, you know, physical or emotional abuse in the home. Their system didn't feel safe. So what happens as an adult Something happens, but your, your stress system isn't starting at zero when something happens. It could start at 30, 40, 50%. So as soon as a little something happens, that throws you to 100%, which is like extremely stressed or overwhelmed, versus somebody else who would, was starting at zero. So I don't know if that paints a good picture of like what to visualize. Sometimes on, on Curious Neuron, I'll post like a picture of a, you know, a meter, or if you think of like Mortal Kombat, I don't know, that's what I used to play when I was young, but like that, that lifeline that, you know, it starts off as green and then yellow as you're like getting hit and then it's red and then it's flashing red. That's when you know, that's when you'll lose your mind for something that happens. And it could be either for emotions. So you can visualize this sort of thing for emotions and how you're regulating them, or you can visualize that for your stress. So little things happen throughout the day and then you yell at your child well, maybe it's because your stress system was already, you know, through the roof and it's only 9 a.m. So it might not necessarily be your child. So when you start visualizing that, you're like, okay, I do check-ins throughout the day because I know that I'm very sensitive to these things. So even sensory, I, I only as a parent, I realized that noise drives me nuts. And I didn't, I mean, I went to concerts. <laughs> it, it didn't make sense to me, but it's a different kind of noise and it makes my system feel unsafe. And that's because of my own childhood. So I understand now that my system is built that way. And it's not that you're never going to scream again. That's not the goal. The goal is to go back into your childhood and say, okay, this is what's causing it. I'm more aware of who I am right now. And I woke up and my child yelled in my ears and now something happened. I know I'm checking in and I know that I'm in yellow. I'm in the yellow zone. And I know that it takes a very small thing, like nobody getting into the car when I ask them to, and I'll lose my mind. <laughs> so that's what it's about. Like you're just understanding your system. It's one of those things that, like I always talk about how you cannot compare yourself to other families or other moms. And that's one of the things that is so 
variable between moms. And I used to always look at it as two kids from two different families can have the exact same meltdown and mom number one is going to react in a certain way because of things that are not necessarily like her anxiety level, her, like you were talking right now, her stress is already at, you know, level whatever because of what she's gone through, her childhood, whatever it might be. And the other one can be like react in a completely different way. And that's what I always used to think when Milo would cry when he was an infant and he would cry in the evenings. Like my anxiety, like it would cause me so much anxiety and I had a really hard time. I wanted to do sleep training, but I was like, I literally can't, even though I would really like to do that. (laughs) Because, and it has nothing to do with me thinking that sleep training is right or wrong. It has everything to do with how I feel and my anxiety levels. So that's, it's just like adding to that argument. Yeah. And, you know, I I think by understanding that, then maybe we build, we could build more compassion towards ourselves in certain situations and for others. When you see that mom, you know, at the grocery store and her child is losing it and she's losing it too. We don't know what the beginning of her day was. We don't know what else she went through that day. We don't know how she's feeling inside, right? If you go back to that emotion regulation definition, she might be saying, I'm the worst mom right now. Everybody it, like thinks I'm just the worst. And that doesn't lead to you being calm. That leads to you losing your mind sometimes. Everybody will respond differently. We cannot judge how they're responding to something. And we still do it sometimes. But there's other people that are helpful too. But we just have to be really aware of ourselves and of like other, other people's backgrounds and, and childhood. What is the tripartite model of parental socialization. I saw that you wrote (laughs) that and I was like, I don't know what that is. Yes, I'm so glad. It's something that I've been talking a lot about because it's one of those things from research that are so easy to bring into your life and understand and then again, help you understand how you're parenting and why you're parenting a certain way, which goes back to also the book that I just told you about. I always forget what happened to you, right? We tend to say like, why are you like that? Or we don't say like, what happened to you that led to you being like this. And and that's where the work begins. So the tripartite model of parental socialization (laughs) is a mouthful. It's basically explaining how children best develop their emotion regulation skills, because it's a skill. We cannot expect a child to, you know, randomly develop these amazing skills and strategies that will help them later on. We have to help them. The only problem is that if we didn't build these skills when we were children, which goes back again to our childhood, then we can't offer these strategies because we never got them. And a big part of the parents that I work with or speak with say that they never learned this. So either emotions were like, stop being a baby, just don't cry kind of thing when they were growing up. Or they had parent, a mother that was yelling a lot and a father that internalized emotions. So they never really saw the right balance of what it means to regulate. And this go, so this comes back also to, again, not having, it doesn't have to do with a traumatic or bad childhood. But the tripartite model says that there are three things that impact or, or influence how a child develops their emotion regulation skills. The first one is how the parent themselves are are modeling emotion regulation. So that's where that comes in. The second one is the parent's parenting style or behavior. So are they balancing connection and attachment with their child with limits and boundaries? Or that that would be like the, the kind of parenting that leads to healthy, you know, emotion regulation skills. Or is the parent all about like 
I'm the parent, what I say goes, what you say doesn't matter, which is authoritarian parenting and being really strict without having that connection or that empathy, you know, towards your child and their emotions. Or on the other end, some parents are a little bit more permissive and it's like, well, I'm going to internalize everything and I won't tell you when I'm angry, but then I can't guide you and tell you what to do with those really uncomfortable emotions. So you, you don't want it to be on one end or the other. You really want to balance those boundaries with the connection with your child. So that's the parenting style. Then there's behaviors. Are you over controlling? Are you, what's one, the word, I always forget the one, parent, parentification. Like, are you treating your child or are you giving them responsibilities that would be for older kids? Like if you're not mentally well, I've spoken to parents that had to take care of their parents when they were young because of a substance abuse or because of, you know, emotional or physical abuse within the home. So that's parentification where your child, where a child has to act older than they are and take care of the parent with them. Or sometimes another parenting behavior we don't realize is when we baby your child. And this happens, you know, mostly around the time that a child becomes a teenager where it's like, no, you can't do that. You're, t you're still too young. Or, you know, you, you can go out th at this time, you know, you need to be in bed by seven, but I'm 17 years old. <laughs> you yeah. know, some, some, that's extreme, but just it's, and we see it in adults, we see it in couples as well, as well, where, you know, maybe I've heard it with fathers where they're not allowed to do certain things because they're not going to do it right. Right. That's, that's kind of, it's called infantilization. So it's treating somebody younger than they are. Those are just two of the like long list of behaviors that we have to understand that will influence how our child builds their emotions. So that's the second one. And then the third one is really hard for many of us because of what's been happening the past two years. The relationship within the household will influence how your child builds those emotion regulation skills. So, you know, a lot of parents at the beginning of the pandemic were asking me, Like, what will happen to my child's social-emotional skills? You know, they're not going out to daycare or school. They're not seeing as many people. But the household itself, especially in children under five, will have a huge impact on that. You know, if the child is seeing a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling at each other, without the repair after, then they'll think that that's how you communicate emotions and that's how you socialize with somebody but if they under if they see the healthy boundaries being put if they see the arguments but then they see the repair after that's what we're modeling to them so those three things you, how you model your emotions your parenting styles and behavior and your relationships in the home will have a huge influence on your child and they're all things that we could kind of manipulate and, and take care of Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. 
Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals, so you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding, and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. With the repair thing, I always wonder like, so let's say your child is doing something you don't want them to do and they're not listening and so you're at the end of your patience bucket and you like yell or do something that you're like, oh, I didn't handle that in the best way. So now after the fact, what does it look like to repair? Is it to go to your child and explain the situation that you apologize for yelling or for like grabbing their arm or whatever you did? Is that what it looks like? Or is there like another piece to that? No, I mean, it, 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 that, that's pretty much what it is. And it depends on your child's age, right? So if you yelled at your two-year-old versus if you yelled at your nine-year-old and, and there's a reason for it, you know, the conversations will be different. But yes, the repair has to do, you know, apologizing. Sometimes parents feel that apologizing is, is showing your, 
like it's it's weakness. <laughs> but again, that comes back to how some of us were raised with our, our parents or fathers or mothers not apologizing because I'm the parent and I everything I do is right. But when it comes to our generation, I think it's important that we see that that builds the connection and the relationship with our kids. Just saying I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yell, you know, is enough for a two year old and and a hug and you know whatever it is. Versus an older child, you might explain, and that's part of the modeling. You might say as long as it's appropriate again, but like, I had a rough day at work today. You know, somebody wasn't really kind to me or my, my boss gave me a lot of work and I felt nervous about it. I felt worried that I wouldn't get it done. And now I yelled at you and I'm really sorry. I should have gone for a walk or I should have taken a deep breath before I responded to that because what you did wasn't as, it wasn't wrong, you know? So that sort of conversation with your child is okay and it's healthy. It's showing them that there are moments that we lose control because motion regulation, the ultimate goal is not to never lose control. It's just about the balance, right? So if you, if your child does something, I've, I've explained this to my audience where you kind of take a three second pause, your child does something. And in that three second pause, don't react. Just think like, is how, how bad is this? Is my system feeling unsafe right now? And it's not like, is, is, you know, did my child just drop, spill a glass of milk and it's, it's really fine. It's just about cleaning it up, but it's frustrating me. Like those three seconds, just think about, am I safe? And if you don't feel safe, tell yourself you are safe if it's just your child crying because your system again is responding to that. And then take a deep breath. And sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't and we lose it. That's okay. But you know, if you bring it down to like an 80-20 rule or whatever it is, but not screaming every single time, then you're seeing improvements. So you really want to focus on I take notes, I, you know, with, with parents that I've worked with before, we, we often journal about like what's happening and it's not about re- writing a big paragraph, but just saying when it happens, writing down, I yelled right after my child told me no. And, and that might come back, you know, you, you might take notes for three, four days and realize like whenever somebody says no to you or your child, sorry, says no to you, that you scream. But that might also be on a day where you had an argument with your spouse in the morning and felt unseen. And now all of a sudden you're putting the pieces together and you're like, wait a second, every time my, my partner leaves in the morning and I, they say something to me and I feel unheard or I feel unseen, I tend to yell a lot more when, there's the, when my child says no to me. Then you start building the connections and saying, yeah, that's, that makes me feel unsafe. And you know that might go back to your childhood as well, where you might have felt unseen, unheard as a child and the, the connections weren't there, the attachment. And then you're, you're, now you're able to piece things together and start the work. So whenever your child says no, taking that deep breath and saying, I want to scream because my partner said something to me this morning, but it has nothing to do with my child. Take a breath. You're safe. Okay, I know you said no, but we have to go or whatever it is. All of a sudden things start to change. So that's what I mean by like doing the work. It's interesting because I always think to myself, some days I can literally, I'm like a saint. Like I can put up <laughs> with so much stuff, like very calm. I can do all the things perfectly. And then other days, something that's not even on a typical day that wouldn't even like, you know, raise my cortisol or make me like <laughs> stressed, I will lose my mind. And like you were just saying, it has nothing to do with what Milo is actually doing. It has to do, like the other day I lost my mind and when I thought about it, I'm like, he wasn't even doing anything. Like he was playing, he was just being silly. But like my husband was gone all day. When he got home, I was like, I need to write this really important email and I'm just going to go to my office and that's what I'm going to do. And then 
I wasn't able to do that because Milo was in my office. He was playing. He's trying to hide under the desk. And like, I lost my mind. (laughs) And it was like, it had nothing to do with what Milo was doing. It was that I had this one thing that I wanted to get done. Like I had been home alone with Milo all day, like, you know, playing with him and entertaining him. And it's like, okay, I just want to do this one thing now. And that was being taken away from me. And I was like, you just lose it. And I feel myself getting stressed or if he's like having a meltdown or something happens. I was just telling someone this the other day, like often I was thinking of it almost as a bad thing in that I'm so unsure of how I want to respond, especially if it's something that like hasn't really come up before. So I pause and I'm almost like frozen and I'm like, uh, like, cause I don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and like, she was like, that's actually a good thing because you're not being reactive. Like you were just saying, like, take a few seconds. I want to talk a little bit about tantrums and meltdowns and how those are developmentally appropriate at certain ages. And they're going to happen because I feel like a lot of parents think the goal is to just never have a tantrum and if they are having a tantrum or really big emotions to like stop it like how can we just stop it and that's not really the goal so can we maybe like walk through like a child having big emotions and how as a parent we can respond and yeah yeah, the, the goal is not to stop them. The goal might be to minimize them, and that's how they develop. When we offer them strategies, then things will work better for them. But a child has to go through these things, or, or, or most of them do, because the amygdala, which is the emotions part of the brain, that's working super well. <laughs> so they have all these emotions that are happening, frustration and anger and disappointment and, and whatever it is, even joy. And then those emotions are communicating with the frontal part of the brain behind her forehead. And the prefrontal cortex says like, all right, I have like this frustration. What am I going to do with it? But that part of the brain for a child is not developed. So what happens is the brain says, I have no idea. I'm just going to scream. <laughs> Versus when we're frustrated, we also might scream because we might not regulate the emotions every time. But when those that frustration from the amygdala comes to the frontal lobe, the frontal lobe says, yeah, I don't flip the desk. That would be a bad idea. So the, the brain has the ability to rationalize through all these big emotions, but not as a child. And sorry to say for all the parents that are hearing, they're listening to this, but that part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, develops until about 25 years old. <laughs> okay, so, so that was that was one of my questions was like, yeah, I know that for toddlers and maybe even little kids, like their meltdowns and their tantrums are to be expected. And you just try and, you know, get through it with them and teach them how to regulate and, you know, different coping skills, whatever. But at what point is it not, like, I can't imagine being at a store and seeing a 13-year-old, like, screaming and, or do they have meltdowns just in a different way because they're older? Like, Yeah, so the emotion regulation skills kick in. So first, you can look at it as, you know, first step is your child understanding there are different emotions. So when you have, let's just start from a toddler and we'll make our way to teenage years, but at a young, very young age, you just want to start naming emotions so that the child understands like it's not just angry, sad, and mad because most children will only use those emotions when describing which ones you have. You know, there's, there's a lot of in-betweens. There's a lot of different degrees of, of happiness, sad, and mad as well. So giving them that vocabulary. Then once, they underst- once they're starting to use that, those words, then you want to help them understand 
when it's happening. So you model it yourself as well, where you know you could be frustrated for something and use that word in that certain situation so that the child understands, oh yeah, that's frustration. And now when their, to- their friend takes a toy away from them and you say, you're really frustrated right now, you know, I could see that, then they understand that. By the way, I'm starting, to, I'm reading Brene Brown's new book and now I'm starting to reevaluate all this kind of stuff like because she talks about, have you read it? I think I saw it The once. Atlas of the Heart? Yes. The, yeah, yeah I, read, I read parts of it. But that's the way, and she's right, like that's the way we've been trained to kind of help our children understand their emotions and, and by us identifying their emotions. But now she's kind of changing my frame of thought where she says we can't really understand somebody else's emotions because us understanding their emotions has to do with how we understand our own and how we interpret them. So anyways, that would be another conversation, but this is the way I've been doing it with my kids. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's hard because now she's changing everything that we've ever known. So <laughs> you're like, oh crap. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I want to put that out there because it's true. I might not understand fully what frustration is because of how I was raised. And then I'll identify my child's frustration when they might be disappointed or sad. So I just want to put that out there. But yeah, so first, you know, helping them identify the emotions, helping them identify when it's happening. And then the next step is, what do I do when I have these emotions? So again, going back to the example of a toy being taken away, and that's because I have three kids. So that's where all the big emotions come up. You know, it's saying when you're frustrated, so the sibling took a toy away. Okay, it's, it's not, you don't have to scream and yell. You could still be frustrated and just use your words. You, what word are you going to give your child? We used a, a silly word in our home, potato. Oh, potato! <laughs> Whenever we were mad, but when they were young, at least it gave them that tool. So that's as you're getting older. Now, as they're approaching school years and, and they're in elementary school and high school, now you really get into what an emotion regulation strategy is. And that's when you're not going to have these big tantrums, but they're still going to have big emotions, just the same way that we will as adults. But now it's, there's like e- expressive suppression, which is when it's a stra- not a good strategy. It's a strategy when you internalize both good and bad, like negative emotions. I don't want to say bad. So negative and positive emotions. And then the other one is cognitive reappraisal, which is really good as a strategy, which is when a child or an adult says, let's just take an adult, for example, and you're, you're going to an interview, you can be really stressed about it and just leave it at that. And your internal dialogue is really negative. And you're like, I, I, you know, I always bomb these sorts of interviews and I know I'm going to bomb this one and blah, 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 all the negative good self-talk there. (laughs) Or you can reappraise the situation, which is, you know, I'm going into this, whatever happens, happens. At least I'll have made a connection in that company, and if anything happens, I can reach back out to them, sort of thing. So that kind of, you know, reappraisal of a situation. With kids, you could think of a soccer game. You can have little Bobby and little Susie leave a soccer game, and they're both crying, and one parent could say, just just stop being a baby, it's just a game, right? That's not teaching an emotion regulation strategy, versus the other parent that says, I see that you're really mad right now and, and, and you know, I would be mad or, or sad, whatever emotion they're feeling. I would, I would be too, I get it. But you guys played really well and you did, you did win your past three games. Maybe if you guys practice again next time and that little you know, move that you guys have been practicing that didn't work out this time, maybe it'll work after the next game you know, and maybe you'll work at it and it'll improve. So that's sort of taking the same situation, not ignoring that there are emotions involved, and giving a strategy, which is cognitive reappraisal, and reevaluating that emotional valence or that how emotional it is to you, 
And, and so it's not about brushing it off or just looking at the bright side, but trying to reevaluate that situation. So once a child develops that, or an adult, which many of us did not, because <laughs> our parents didn't do this. Well, not, I don't know about yours, mine didn't. But, you know, that's a really strong strategy that leads to stronger social emotional skills, stronger social skills with other people. Because when you're in a situation with them, you can do the same thing. You can reevaluate. You could have, you know, a better ability to look at their point of view. In a conversation, you'll approach it with curiosity rather than like emotions right away. So it develops a lot of good skills. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolavie.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. like the reappraising the situation. So it made me think of in grad school, I would get so anxious. Like I almost dropped out of grad. This is why I'm on anxiety medication because I was so terrified of public speaking. And in grad school, you're constantly giving presentations and you're being evaluated like heavily and people are going to ask questions. And so anyway, not evaluated. So... I think you're, you're being put down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Evaluating is really light. <laughs> and this is why I have imposter syndrome yeah. for life. But anyways, I used to tell myself like, Renee, this was my like reappraisal. Like you're so anxious for this presentation. Renee, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? You're going to go, you're going to present. The worst thing is like what? You vomit all over yourself at the front of the class and then... Even if you do that, everyone's just going to feel sad for you and then you're going to go home. <laughs> so it doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> like, this is what I would run through my head. Like, oh my what gosh. is the worst case scenario? You vomit all over the place. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. So that was my strategy. <laughs> you think like an astronaut, right? There was a book I read about astronauts and they always create all the worst situations possible so that you're ready for it. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a go. good strategy. In case anyone wants that little yeah. uh, tip there. 
Yeah, I would just go in full force, like nervousness, like anxiety. Oh, crazy. <laughs> no reappraisal. Well, yeah. This is why I take medication now, which is <laughs> fabulous. But, you know, mentally, that was how I would work through it. So I have the opposite kind of like turning the tables. Let's say you have a child and I feel like Milo borders on this, like that is more kind of like withdrawn. They're obviously upset. Like, for example, if Milo, like what he does recently is like, even if he's in like a really good mood and we're like playing and he'll like wind up and like hit out of nowhere. He's not upset. He's not angry. Like, it's very odd. And so if you address the situation with him and he like obviously knows that he did something bad and like that you're upset and like he shouldn't do that, he like shuts down. And... This has happened, this is like a case study for you. So the last three days at school, his teachers are like, he's hit the same kid like three days in a row. And they're like, he's not upset. They're like playing superheroes or whatever they're doing. And he just like will hit the kid. And then they try and talk to him about it. Like, were you angry? Like, how were you like, you know, and he just like shuts down. And then he'll like start crying for like a half hour and Like, it's such a strange, but he won't, like, apologize to the kid. He won't, like, admit that he was angry. He won't talk. He just shuts down. So then even yesterday on the drive home, they were like, yeah, it happened again. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, as a mom, you just, like, want to cry. I'm like, this is the worst thing in the world. But then I'm like, Renee, calm down. Like, this is not, you know, Worst case scenario, you you throw up. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That's the answer to everything. (laughs) Yeah. So on the drive home, I'm, like, trying to talk to him and, like, just get anything out of him. And I'm like, were you angry? Like, why are you like hitting your friend and da da da? And he just won't say a word. He's just like, eh, eh. Like every time I ask him something, like, how do you pull something out of a toddler? Yeah, that's hard because even if you ask them how they were feeling, they might not really know. And that's why they might be shutting down. I think we could have a good idea of what sort of emotion. So if it's clear that he wasn't mad or frustrated. And sometimes, again, that emotion could be happiness and joy and excitement. And then it just comes out as a big emotion for them. And then they react, right? So there's the internal reaction and then the external reaction. So his external to that joy and excitement could be hitting. So what we have to do is try to give other ways to express this emotion. So with your child or anybody who's listening, I urge that they kind of think of, okay, how can I switch that one behavior for something else? So if you can say while you're playing, if you're really having fun, you could say like, hey, give me a high five and then like do that. And it's it's about repetition and, and trying to explain that emotion. So he might realize at some point, yeah, when I'm really excited, I had this need to like like hit or contact or connect with that person. That might be what is happening at that moment. So if he, he has that strategy or that little tool that we've given him now, now he can use that. That could be one example. But that's usually, I had somebody that I had spoken with that had something similar. Their daughter was a bit younger too. I think she was like under two years old, but she was hitting a lot, but only when she was happy. She wasn't mad. So again, I gave a tip to just change that behavior to something else. It could be like, I want to hug you, or I want to give you a high five, or what's the word you could use in that moment if they're a little bit older. So we really have to try to switch because sometimes when we're in the mode of just stopping it, we don't realize that when we're stopping it, we're not giving them an outlet or a way to express that emotion. So we have to switch it to something else. Okay, I'm totally doing that. And I don't (laughs) know why, like, 
I'm like racking my brain. I'm like, what could we possibly do? Because sometimes he does it with us. Like we're like in the kitchen, like doing something and he's obviously in a good mood and he just like winds up and will like hit. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> this is one of those moments where I like freeze and yeah. I'm like, <laughs> what do you uh, do? <laughs> like I understand I hitting when someone's angry, but my child's happy and he's hitting, like I'm screwed. And it's still an emotion. So that's okay. You know, it, it's, it's again, this is why this, this conversation around emotions is so important because when we realize that there, inter- there are internal reactions to it and external reactions to it, we understand ours and, and we understand our, our kids. Something that I, I, I like to do with parents' behaviors and children's behaviors too is to zoom out before you zoom in. So we tend to zoom in. We tend to f- want to fix that one problem. But that one problem could be influenced by lots of other things. For a child, for example, when you just focus in on that problem, if you zoom out, then you might see the environment they're in, right? So are they doing it with a specific friend or sibling or family member? If you zoom out again, are they doing it when I'm reacting a certain way? Are they doing it after something happens within the home? You know, again, a rough morning, maybe they're more aggressive in the car or they're, they say things that aren't really kind because of the morning and, and how that sort of, you know, their system is, is tired or overloaded. And when we zoom out again, we look at the relationships in our home. Again, not, not for the type of situation you gave me, but, you know, if a child is hitting a lot when they're angry or they're screaming at you all the time, it's important to kind of zoom out of that situation because, like we learned from the tripartite model, Everything in the environment will influence how our child is responding and how they're behaving. So that's something that we really need to to do a lot more because we, and I do it too sometimes, we forget to zoom out and we zoom into that problem like, I need to fix that. But fixing that is not just about making it go, go away. We have to understand it. So we have to approach it with curiosity. And there might be emotions involved. So that curiosity and compassion component comes in. Yeah, and I think it's hard because, like you were saying, how we were raised... Like, I think a lot of people would hear from the teacher that their kid, like, hit somebody and have a reaction that would not be helpful at all. You know what I mean? So a lot of the times I find myself in a situation where he will do something and I'm like, oh my God, like, you want to react a certain way, but you're like, I know that that's not going to help at all. Like, it might even make it worse. And... I think a lot of parents that are our age, like right now, are struggling. Like we're in the middle and we're like being pulled to two different directions. So like if people are listening and they're like, oh my God, it's hard. Like it is hard. The best part about child, like being a parent sometimes is like this new you that you discover and you, you, you know, you're childlike and you're having fun. But then the worst part is this new you <laughs> also at the same time. Because for me, you know, by the time I had my second child, my first was just under two years old. And that's when everything kind of like crumbled a bit for me as, as a person and as a parent, because I realized that like there were a lot of things I needed to work on that I had kind of swept under the rug. And I was dealing, I had been in school for so many years. And, and now I had two young kids, both screaming, both crying, both hungry, both needing a diaper change. And I lost my mind. I could not deal with it. I would just, I would literally walk away and like cry in a corner somewhere because I didn't know what to do with all of this. And that's when I started the work. That's when I realized, okay, I, I was kind of flying by life, not really putting the work into it. And, and if I don't do this, I'm going to keep yelling at my kids. I'm going to keep feeling out of control and I needed to, to do something. So 
this is why it's really important for us as parents to to take a moment to take a moment and really think back to what happened to us as a child and and how both our stress systems and our emotion regulation skills were developed and the in the emotions comes that sensory part too so our senses are connected to our emotions part of the brain so sometimes like i said before what i learned about myself is when there's too much touching also that triggers me like playing with the kids all day is fine but around four for some reason four five then i've had enough <laughs> then everybody mm-hmm. needs to move back <laughs> yeah because i can't i can't <laughs> even just sometimes a hug and then i get the guilt around that but i've been i've had a child in my arms almost all day playing and throwing and, and you know whatever it is and by evening i i need space so when they're coming up to me and tapping my leg while i'm making supper i lose it i completely lose it so if i'm aware of the fact that my system is very sensitive towards that then i'm able it's not again it's not about making it disappear your reactions to it but being aware of them and you will you will respond differently sometimes and you'll be able to say okay please step away from mommy set set your boundary i need space yeah. right now and you're allowed to have that and again back to our childhood if we weren't given the rights to create our own boundaries right if you know i give my kids time to go in their room and and be alone if they want to i was never given that i only learned how to build boundaries as like a 35 year old now i'm 39 and i've only started a few years ago where i would tell i now i'm working on telling people like that's not right for me i don't have time for that or no i'm not coming to that party i'm not don't feel like it where before i would just like come up with an excuse or go when i didn't want to and then i was there and i was uncomfortable because i'm an introvert and i hate it <laughs> i just don't like it but now only now as an adult i'm learning to place those boundaries but i never had the right to boundaries as a child it's important that we think back again to how we were raised it is interesting how as milo gets older and as a parent i have learned things that really bother me you know and when I have like big emotions and like just I was doing an interview with someone the other day and they asked me what the most unexpected thing was or has been about motherhood. And I was like, honestly, like the anger and the rage that you can feel because I'm 37 and I have never felt that way. I played competitive sports. I like never. I have two siblings, like never felt this way before. And it happens frequently in motherhood. And So yeah, it's like understanding, I don't feel this way because I'm a bad person. I feel this way because, you know, I'm not (laughs) able to meet certain needs. I'm like, it is a lot of work, the sensory overload. I'm sorry, but when Milo is having a difficult morning and my dogs are barking, I could literally punch a hole in a wall. And you know, what's funny is that my husband is with me going through the exact same experience and does not have any reaction. And I'm like, I am very sensitive to the dogs barking when Milo is having a difficult time and we're like trying to get him dressed. And and so it's like, I've learned that about myself. And so I remember in quarantine, I was home alone now with Milo at a difficult stage in his life. He was like 18 months when it started and the two dogs, the two stupid dogs. (laughs) And so I started to learn that on days that were really difficult, they're going downstairs. Like the dogs are going downstairs. 
because it's not fair to me. It's not fair to the dogs because like I would lose my mind on the dogs because they're an easier target than Milo or, you know, than to someone else. So I'm not saying I would abuse them. I just like scream at them and like go in your house and and I don't want to feel that way. It's not nice to feel that way. And so Milo is going to be four in September. I've learned so much about what makes me like have those big emotions. And then you can kind of try and avoid them, try to prevent them, try to predict when it's going to happen and set yourself up to not have such big emotions or react in a way that you don't want to react. And then with regard to anger and rage, I don't know if you've heard of this book. It's called Rage Becomes Her. The Power of Women's Anger. And so it's by Soraya Chemali. I'm probably saying that wrong. But anyways, she's going to come on the podcast soon. Because this is all about like women and the emotion of anger and rage and how from childhood we are, you know, like little boys and little girls are raised differently with regard to like expressing anger and how people react to a woman's anger is much different than how they react to a man's anger. And it means different things like in society. It's so interesting. She has a whole chapter on rage in motherhood. And so I'm like reading that right now. I'm like making notes like, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it is very interesting. And to consider that rage and anger is probably one of the emotions that most moms struggle with and like we're not expecting like it's such a fascinating topic you know we forget also the generational trauma aspect to it right and in certain cultures the stress system is different in certain people the stress system is different so I even speaking back to my own childhood and my mom and my grandmother's my grandmother at 11 years old was she woke up one morning she lived on a farm in New Brunswick here in Canada and there were like 17 kids and her parents when she woke up that morning said here your your bags are packed we're sending you to Montreal because you're going to raise your sister's kids so she was ripped away from school ripped away from her friends her family everything put on the bus at 11 on a train at 11 years old it created this trauma of like being alone and becoming an adult at such a young age my mom was raised in so my grandmother's stress response is very different and that was passed on to my mother, which was passed on to me, again, because of how they were internalizing and externalizing emotions. So we forget that also this genetic component means that that stress system that I was talking about before, that is at zero, we might be born with a stress system that's already at 20%. And and then, you know, if our parents are very stressed or the environment doesn't feel safe for us as a child or not even that, like it just if their parents react a certain way, they're modeling that. So whatever can happen in our childhood, again, if we were born and our stress system was at 20 percent, and now all of a sudden it's at forty, so we're living life at that forty percent, and all at one hundred percent, that's when we absolutely lose it. So the more aware we are of certain things that impact us and the environment, like you spoke about, I think we're able to just understand what we can control and what we can't control in an environment when it comes to our responses. So. Like you said, the dogs, right? So the sensory aspect to it, but there's also the needs part of it. So if you have not left the home in in three weeks or you haven't had time to be alone, your needs are not met, you know? Or if you just want to read a book and you keep thinking about that, yeah, your kid's going to say something and you're going to respond in a way that you didn't want because you're just, you don't want to be here right now. (laughs) You just, you're thinking about that good book you just bought and you really want to read it. 
and you don't re- you don't realize that that's impacting how you are responding to your child because your your brain needs something it wants something again with a partner too you know like if we we had an argument and we don't feel seen or heard or safe well, then we're going to respond to our kids in a different way so we have to really understand that the environment will have a huge influence in how we manage our stress levels and how we manage our emotions. Then you can start piecing together, where do I have control? Okay, like you said with the dogs, I have control about with this aspect. I can put them downstairs. So you're going to help nurture your, your system versus you know being in an environment where you can't control something. So you just have to understand what you can and can't control. Do you have any like practices? Like, what do you do day to day to like manage stress to get alone time? Like, do you have anything that you do regularly? Yes and no. So, I think for me, what's what I learned after having my third is my brain wanted me time out of the house, and it wasn't a reality because after I had a third, then the pandemic hit. <laughs> so that was. I think the most difficult time, just not being able to leave that and having nowhere to go, not even... we he, Here in Montreal, we had a lockdown at nighttime, so we had like a curfew. And that was the worst because when the kids would go to bed, I would randomly go like to the, the grocery store that was open till midnight and now it was closed at 7 p.m. or whatever it was. So I didn't have an outlet and I realized that I had to find many micro moments of like, <laughs> I call them dopamine hits, but dopamine is in response to the anticipation of something, but the, the, those little happy, joyous moments. And it could be a, like if I give kids their breakfast and they want a toast, but I want an egg. I will take those 10 minutes and make myself an egg and sit there and be aware in that moment that this is for me because I matter. I don't leave the house every day. I, I wish I could. I don't read books as much as I would want to. I'm balancing also maybe a little too much and I'm aware of that. Like I have three kids that I'm homeschooling two out of three. The other one's not in daycare. It's at, he's at home. My husband works from home. So during his meetings, he wants three kids to stay quiet. <laughs> which can be hard and that causes stress and then so then there's the homeschooling throughout the day there's the checking over the two-year-old that's making a disaster and then I start work at 8 p.m at night so it's been <laughs> crazy and I work on weekends so it's just a little bit too much the past week I've been trying to like walk a little bit more that it's nicer outside but it's really hard to step away for me what has helped is understand that there are moments within my day that are for me for me and bring me joy because again, like I said, I, I forgot that I mattered after having three kids. I forgot that what I needed was important. And I'll go out for dinner with a friend every once in a while. But the daily stuff has to do with when my kids are here. And I might say, you know what? I need, I need to have a coffee and I need it hot <laughs> for that satisfaction and that joy. And my kids will play or will read a book. We'll do something quiet so that I don't have to chase them around the house or outside or whatever it is. So I, I'm aware of my needs in terms of like the sound level. I'll have my boundaries. You know, I don't want to hear TV in the, in the evenings. For me, it has to be quiet in the home. They're aware of that. So we work together. I've learned to really establish my boundaries in the home. And that's yeah, that. how I've done yeah. it. I, I wish I had a... a a better like response of like, I take a bath at night, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> I meditate, yeah, I, I wish. sip on a tea. And yeah, I, I, I know, I know. And I think that's the reality of most of us, right? I don't want to paint a picture that 
I have all these amazing practices and I go to the gym and I no, I mean, I'm in my worst physical shape ever in my entire life. My mental health is okay, but my fit, you know, I, I just want to leave. I want to exercise. I want to do something. And it hasn't, I haven't been able to fit it into my schedule. I'm trying to figure that out, but we could still do things within our day that bring us joy, like that healthy breakfast, like that snack. If you're hungry, don't avoid, you know, when part, drinking water too. <laughs> don't avoid your basic needs <laughs> of food and water and, and, that's already a good start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yay. My sister, like she watches my Instagram stories. Like, you know that I'm recording right now. She just tries to FaceTime me. Like, you're fired. Like, ah, you're she's fired. like my assistant I for the it. podcast. Yeah. Like, she makes all the content. Like, you're fired. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Okay. This was a great conversation. So much value. Where can people find you? Listen to your podcast, all the things. Yes. So we have, I have a website, curiousneuron.com. The Curious Neuron podcast is on iTunes and Spotify and all the other ones. On Instagram, you have curious underscore neuron where you could follow us. And on the website as well, if parents, because Curious Neuron is all about like science backed or yeah, scientifically informed parenting. And we collaborate with labs. So if a parent is interested in joining a lab, uh, a research study, there are research studies for moms and dads and their mental health or research studies for emotion regulation skills and problem solving skills in, in children. And it, most of them are Zoom, are Zoom uh, studies right now. So you can go uh, head on to the Curious Neuron website and pick a lab that you want to work with. And also we have the Academy. I have a small course, I think it's a one hour course, where you learn about your emotions and you learn about your childhood and you apply everything that we just spoke about today. There's a play camp, there's tantrum help and all of that. So they, they can reach all of that there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking to you again. I love talking to you. Thanks. Thanks.